Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation Inclusive Leadership Podcast, which explores how we lead our colleges so that everyone is given a sense of belonging and is listened to and feels heard. People shine in the light of being paid attention to, being shown that they matter and are respected. All of our communities of staff and students need to feel this regardless of their background, class, race, gender, culture, religion, sexuality and disability. No one should be made to feel ashamed. In inclusive organisations, we do not treat people the same. We treat them with the dignity and respect they want to be treated by. We offer equality of opportunity to all. We will explore how current leaders are creating inclusive environments, how they lead with sensibility and are self-aware and know the impact they have on their organisations. They understand their own prejudices. Whilst no one has all the answers, we will explore the questions of how to change and adapt to meet the needs of everyone and do it by listening to frontline staff and students and acting upon what we hear. I'd like to welcome Aranola today. Aranola, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you, Sally. I am the principal and head of service for Westminster Adult Education Service, which is um, it's actually the largest um, local authority provided education service in London. I also am a member of Holex, so I sit on the Holex board, as well as representing adult and community learning providers at the Skills for Londoners board um, with the GLA. So uh, quite a number of hats that I normally wear, but um, I have been in role now as the principal and head of service for six years. So um, quite a significant chunk of time. And prior to that, I was the deputy head of service at Westminster. As a leader who is organising your business in an inclusive way, how do you ensure that you remain sensitive to all of your staff and students? I think one of the key things for me, Sally, is to be present. And I mean being present both physically and mentally for both staff and learners. And it's really about taking the time to get to know your staff. And I'm very fortunate because I lead a staff body of just under 200 people. It therefore means that I can take time to actually get into teams through my service management team and get to know staff and actually really listen to what the issues are for them, what the challenges are for them, and what it means to them to be part of an organisation like ours. And one of the things we talk about here at Westminster is being part of the WAYS family. So WAYS stands for Westminster Adult Education Service. And we talk about wanting people to have that real sense of belonging as part of their career journey here. And similarly, with learners, traditionally with adult education, learner reps has not been a thing, but it's something that I introduced about five years ago because I was really, really keen to actually 
understand where learners were coming from and actually make sure that their voices were really represented in terms of how we were designing and delivering our services because we wanted to be truly representative for them. And it took a while to get it off the ground. And of course, we had COVID in between. But we've actually got a really solid framework now that enables us to really get to the heart of any of the issues that are troublesome for our learners and actually working with them, co-designing with them how they actually want this service to deliver for them and their families. And that's been one of the big things for me. So it really is about being there physically and mentally, listening to their feedback and actually taking action based on that feedback. And that can be any aspect of inclusion that you're looking at, whether you're looking at it from a faith, culture, ethnicity, gender perspective, you actually have to take the time to really listen to what people are saying to you so that you have a better understanding of what it is that is either working for them, which is great, and we celebrate that, or what's not working and what you can do about it. How do you, because it's not just you, it's also your teams, create that psychologically safe environment for staff and students so that when you are listening to them, they actually feel confident enough to actually express their concerns and their uniqueness? I think, again, that happens over time. It's about building that trust with your staff and it's taken time as well for us as a leadership team and we've had to have those conversations initially at leadership level and then what we've also done is we've created forums with staff to actually have those conversations and uh, you know someone said you know we're having the big conversation well it should be an ongoing conversation all the time it's not just a one-off conversation so as part of how we actually operate it is truly an open door policy where any member of staff regardless of where they are in the organization and any learner can actually come and knock on my door and book some time to actually come and talk to me because I'm not always in the office, but when I am in, they can come and talk to me. And my leaders and managers have taken a similar approach. And so that therefore means that there's a lot more openness and transparency in terms of how we start to have those conversations. And what we've done, particularly with regards to looking at the equality, diversity and inclusion agenda, is we've had those conversations. We've then publicised quite openly on both our learner SharePoint and our staff SharePoint, the outcomes of that, and what action we've said that we're actually going to take as a leadership team. So one of the ones that we're having a bit of a challenge with at the moment, and it's a really good point in question, is actually creating quiet spaces where both learners and staff during the time that they're on site, can actually go away and have a bit of quiet meditation, prayer, if they want to do that. Because as an organisation, we don't actually have that many free rooms. We're quite constrained because it's an adult and community learning provided service. We don't actually have that many free rooms. And one of the things the staff and the learners have challenged me with is, well, we want to be able to express our faith Or, you know, we want to be able to actually take some time out and do that when we're at work. And traditionally, we'd always said, well, this is a place of work. If you want to do that, we will signpost you to the nearest places of worship. But actually, it's come up time and time again. And so we've actually had to sit down and have the conversation. What we've now agreed, and we're going to do it this term, is we're going to do a walk around 
the different buildings and agree together where we think we can create that space and actually co-design that. So that's just an example of the journey that we've been on in terms of really understanding what it takes to actually make people feel that they belong in an organisation. And that applies to both learners and, you know, our staff as well, because learners had raised it as an issue. And then when I then took it to the leadership team, some of my leaders and managers said, well, some of the staff have mentioned it as well, too. So what are we going to do about it? And we can't just ignore it. So I've said, you know, even though I had had previous negative experiences of creating those types of spaces in a different organisation, I've accepted that I can't let that colour my judgment going forward, given this is how people actually feel. And it's one of the key things that's going to enable them to feel that sense of belonging within the organisation. Sounds wonderful. And I'd love to pick up again to see how impactful it is. What do you say to the comment that people could say, well, Aranola, as a black woman, you're already a role model. It must be easier for you to get that sense of belonging and inclusivity. I wish it were so, because as we all know, there are different things that make each and every one of us up. So yes, I'm a black woman. I was raised in an Islamic household, converted to Catholicism, have you know Nigerian heritage, feel very rooted as a, a British citizen. So there's so many different things that make up our identity. And actually, we can't be complacent. And I can't be complacent as a black female leader about and make assumptions about what that then means for my staff and my learners out there. Absolutely, yes, I get positive feedback from staff and learners and they're so glad to see me in this position. But actually, I'd really like that not to be something that is then unusual going forward. So ideally, it should become the norm, not the exception going forward. But it isn't easy because obviously there are different aspects to diversity, which aren't just about race, which just aren't about gender, that I also need to educate myself on. And I think that's the important thing. We need to keep learning and we need to keep stretching and pushing the boundaries and pushing ourselves in terms of really understanding diversity in its widest sense. And that's been one of the challenges for me. So when it comes to looking at issues of faith, I understand my faith. I don't understand much about other people's faiths. So, you know, through our faith network, I try and get a better understanding of that. And similarly, when it comes to things like sexual orientation, again, I have an understanding of what mine is, but I don't have as good an understanding of that wider sense. So the key thing for me, and I say this to my leaders and managers as well, is that we have to keep an open mind and we always have to be prepared to listen and learn because that's the key thing. It's listening and learning. And recently, we had an organisation through the local authority come and do some work with us as senior leaders around the pay gap. Because as a local authority, we unfortunately have both an ethnicity and a gender pay gap. And we've been looking at why that is. You know, we're in Westminster. Over 70% of our households have, as well as English, another language. So they're not all of English heritage. But when you actually look at our leadership and management structures in the city council, we are still predominantly white. 
And we've started to actually challenge ourselves in terms of why is it that when you look at the lower levels of the organisation, you can see that there's quite a lot of diversity in all its forms. But the further up you go, we actually don't have that. So that's been unfortunately perpetuated over time. And what we're saying now is that we need to actually start taking some bold action in terms of how we start to redress some of those imbalances. And so we're having those conversations about What's the positive action that we need to be looking at taking? And how do we take that in a way that it doesn't become divisive? Because what we don't want is for someone of a different heritage to feel that actually I don't stand a chance of a promotion in Westminster because actually that's not the priority. So those are the different conversations that we've actually started to have. And we're being very, very deliberate and intentional about where we put our focus and how we actually start to bring everyone along with us. And it is learning and educating ourselves. So we're all, we've all got um, some resources that we're working through at the moment that have been made available via the staff college. And it's really about us having those conversations, but then really listening to the feedback and on the basis of that, agreeing the actions that we're going to take. And one of the big ones for us really is about saying, well, let's look at the talent that we already have within the organisation because we already have diversity in its many forms through the different levels of the organisation. How can we harness that? Because it isn't just about creating leadership courses. It's also about the add-ons, the wraparound that's needed to ensure that people feel confident and feel that they're not just being asked to undertake that program because of their skin colour, because they happen to be a woman or they happen to have a disability, because those were the three key ones that were looked at, but that people really um, feel that their skills, their talents are valued by us as an organisation and is actually finding different ways to do that. That's been one of the big things for us in the last two years. And this year, we're going to have a real focus on trying to start to make some inroads to actually plug in that gap. One of the targets that we've actually set ourselves is to have no pay gaps by 2025. And that is a big ask, because I think there was some mapping done and we looked at the, you know, when, when we look back at all the different initiatives that we've had, reverse mentoring, we've had diverse recruitment panels. And when I say diverse, that's not just about looking at ethnicity, gender, disability. It was also about bringing people from different levels of the organisation into those panels and training them so that you could have different perspectives in the room. And we've done the leadership pathways and getting people onto those programmes, supporting the mentoring. But when we looked at the incremental improvements that we were having, we calculated that it was probably going to take us 15 years to actually close the pay gap. So we thought we needed, as a leadership team, some bold action on that. And I suppose that's probably, for me, one of the benefits of being part of a larger corporate structure within a local authority. It means I can tap into those resources to actually help us deal with some of these challenges. You're going for quite a bold way forward And you've already alluded to the fact that at the senior levels, that diversity is not really present. So what does allyship mean for you? And how can you foster that to actually address some of the things that you've beautifully outlined in this discussion? That's been one of the biggest positives. Having a chief executive 
of one of the most dynamic, I would say, local authorities in the country, boldly stand up and say, this is not good enough, has meant that as a leader, I feel confident that I can go and have those conversations with him and others in the executive leadership team to say, let's do something different. Let's be a bit bolder about how we can actually do that. And it really just means it's not passive, not just trying to do things for the sake of ticking a box or meeting a target necessarily. It's actually believing in the action that you're taking and actually getting allies who will stand shoulder to shoulder with you. And I think that's what we've actually got with our senior leadership team. And I think that has to be drawn from people from different backgrounds. It isn't just about white leaders. It's not just about female leaders. It's about all leaders, regardless of their backgrounds, actually standing shoulder to shoulder with you because they truly believe in this agenda. Because if you don't believe in it, whatever actions you take will not be sustained. And I think that's one of the key things for me. It's about making sure that we're creating a legacy that we can build on going forward. So allyship to me is identifying people who you know really and truly support your diversity and inclusion agenda. And I feel really positive that we've got that here in Westminster. In terms of the sector... I do that a lot of that as well through works with other networks. So I actually also am part of a local authority network that looks at diversity in its widest sense. It's called the Global Majority Network. One of the things that we talked about is that when we talk about BAME or we talk about minoritized ethnic communities, when we talk about ethnicity, it sometimes feels a bit demeaning. So let's actually flip it on its head, you know, so it's called the Global Majority Network. And we've got a lot of leaders and managers there from different backgrounds, again, supporting that journey within local authority. And then the Women's Leadership Network are also another key one for me, where I feel I have like-minded people who are really on this journey. And again, from different backgrounds who are prepared to actually support and take action within the sector to actually really focus on and address this issue in a meaningful way. Because I I always say that when I think about my leadership journey, yes, of course, there were challenges, but there were also people who believed in me. There were people who encouraged me. There were people who would fly my flag for me if I wasn't in the room. Because sometimes you're not always at the table. So when I I wasn't at the table, there were people saying, yeah, but have you spoken to Ariola about that? She will probably have some, you know, she might have some good ideas on how we could do that. Because, you know, I've seen the work that she's done on X and that's really helped. And so I feel I have a duty to do that as a leader. And I think I need to support and encourage other leaders to do that similarly wherever they can. So it really is about making sure that, We are opening those doors, that ceiling, what ceiling? There isn't a ceiling, the sky is the limit and making sure that we are making leaders, both men and women, coming behind us, making them aware that they can do this. It has been done and they can do it and we will support them in trying to actually ensure that they can also take on the mantle and be the true leaders that they can be within the organisations that they work in. What you're trying to achieve, both within your organisation and the wider community for inclusivity, is really important. 
but it also sounds exhausting. How do you look after yourself and make sure that you don't burn yourself out? Because when you are, and let's face it, you're one of the few black female leaders, it's very easy to get you sucked in. Oh, let's have the token. We'll bring our Anola along. So how do you both support and be an ally to inclusivity, but not burnout? That's a really good question, Sally. And sometimes I have felt that way. If I, you know, being perfectly honest with you, sometimes I have felt, oh God, you know, don't ask me to come and sit on another panel. Don't ask me to come and do something else. So, and I think self-care is really important. So, you know, someone actually sent something to me yesterday and said, self-care is not being selfish. Uh, uh, so don't feel you're being selfish because you do need to look after yourself. But seriously, I think finding and identifying key people in your network that you can turn to. And I think that's been really a lifesaver for me. I've got four or five, and they do happen to be women. I did have one man amongst them, but he's now since retired and isn't as current as he once was. But I do have about four or five people that I can turn to and have those conversations with and say, you know, run it past them and say, what do you think about this? So so that I don't say yes to everything. It's learning also to say no sometimes. And then also, because of my knowledge of people within the network, suggesting alternatives. And I've recently done that with something else. Where I've said, yes, of course I would love to do. However, there's this other individual in the sector who actually is up and coming talent who I think really would embrace this opportunity because that's the other thing as well. I think sometimes, and and I've been guilty of it as well as a leader and manager, you sometimes go to your go-to people because you know they'll get it done. But actually you need to try and avoid doing that because what you're doing is stifling opportunities for others. And so it's also flipping that on its head in the wider context and actually trying to actually create those pipelines through your networks and actually raise an awareness of that. So a lot of what I often do will be about signposting people to others as well to actually help. Because what I'm hoping is that over time, we can actually then generate a grand swell of more people who are on this journey with us. And they won't just be the one or two black female leaders who can actually lead the charge. So it is really about that talent pipeline and making sure that we're bringing that forward, but also recognizing when you're, you've sort of reached your limit and saying no, you know, respectfully, but just saying on this occasion, I can't really take it on, but these are some other just as good solutions that I can actually proffer to you in terms of dealing with this. Do you feel good old fashioned Catholic guilt though? Yeah, you, you've got me there, Sally. I do. And often that does mean I overstretch myself. And um, I took stock at the end of last year and I was saying to myself, I have to rationalise some of what I've been doing. And it's time to actually pass some on and say, do you know what? I've done my stint on this. It's now time to pass the baton on and not take on too many new things. Because I do feel the old-fashioned Catholic guild. I think, oh, God, you know, I've been put here for a reason and I should be fulfilling that reason. But I also have to absolutely agree with you that you do need to look after yourself so that you don't burn out. Absolutely. So are you aware of your prejudices and bias? And are you clear where they come from? 
And how do you create an environment where people can actually feel safe to discuss their prejudices so that we do stop discrimination? Because people don't, oh, I'm never prejudiced. Absolutely. People talk about unconscious bias. There's conscious bias as well. It's just clear you've done that and you said that because my faith obviously has its challenges in terms of some of those. And I do have some problems with some of it. And when I've had the opportunity, because um, I'm very, very involved in my in my local church as well. And sometimes we've had these discovery sessions and I've, in a respectful way, tried to challenge some of the things that are talked about, particularly in the Catholic Church. And you don't always necessarily get the answer that you want. But I sort of, in a sense, make my peace with the things I can make my peace with, but accept that there are aspects of faith that don't necessarily accord with what I want to deal with on a human level. My heritage, in terms of being someone from a you know Nigerian background, that links into what you think about people of different faiths, of different sexual orientation, all of that. And it's taken time for me to unlearn some of that, being totally honest with you here. I've had to unlearn some of that by educating myself as well and getting to know people from those diverse backgrounds as well. And in talking to staff, being quite open with them about what my prejudices have been. And I talk about that when I do staff talks. I tell them about my background. I tell them about the things that sort of drive me. I tell them about some of the things that I still don't understand, but actually I'm prepared to listen and get to understand better. And that's why I want us to have the conversation. And I actually think that being open with staff is what's enabled them to probably be open with me. Uh, you know, and I've acknowledged that, do you know what? I don't have all the answers and I won't always get it right. And when I do get it wrong, please do tell me because I won't even always know that I've got it wrong. So please do tell me. And, you know, but once I know better, I should do better. And I think that's what I say to staff. And I think that has created that sense of we can go and tell Arinola about it we can have that conversation with her about it but you do always have to have that at the back of your mind and that was one of the reasons why I was very keen when um, the local authority actually introduced diverse panels it was primarily looking at ethnicity disability and gender on the panels I said no we need to take it further because it was also about different backgrounds and different perspectives and that's why I said it was about bringing in frontline staff to be a part of those recruitment panels because actually they come at it with a different perspective and they have helped us really recruit some fantastic candidates because they've helped us to sort of see it differently based on their view. So yeah, it's something that you always have to be conscious of and aware of and you need to move from a situation where your unconscious bias is making you do things so that you start taking conscious action to rectify it and do the right thing. And your authenticity and openness absolutely oozes from this whole session. For me, often, who we mix with, who we meet on a daily basis, helps our thinking. And the more diverse the group, the more diverse our thinking. If we live in a monoculture, and it's one of the things that concerns me with social media, then unfortunately you see the world through one lens. So how diverse are your friendship groups and how diverse 
is your work life? So my friendship groups probably aren't as diverse as I'd like them to be. And it's been really interesting as that has evolved over the years. So I'd say my friendship groups from church are very similar in terms of, the, you know, but when it comes to my friendship groups from work, very diverse. And that has really helped in terms of really getting a better understanding of those different perspectives, what, you know, what the issues are for people, what the challenges are for people, what their lived experiences are, and actually where the similarities are as well. And that's been quite insightful and has helped me think differently about things. And then the other dimension that's come onto my radar more recently is actually neurodiversity. And some of the assumptions I had made about that, and I'm having to challenge those assumptions now and think, okay, and I'll just give you a really quick example. When we talk about the way we're working now and we're saying, okay, we're a front-facing service, we're dealing with the public, all this working from home nonsense, we can't be doing, yes, we can have some of it, but we need to get back and be with our people, be in our community. That doesn't work for everybody. And actually, what we had done in order to facilitate the hybrid working is that we had gotten rid of quite fixed staffing spaces. We'd made them much more flexible. It all became hot desking. Some of our staff really struggled with that because actually they like certainty. They like to know where they are. That certainty was what got them to perform at their best. Me coming in and saying, no, we needed to be this flexible body that did different things for everyone all over the place just didn't work for them. And so I've had to sort of challenge some of the assumptions I have when I'm thinking about diversity and inclusion in its widest sense, because it's also about how people think, how they get to be who they are, and how we facilitate that in a way that means that they can bring their best selves to work. They can feel that they're valued in the workplace. So I've had to sort of do a bit of a U-turn on some of those things because it wasn't working. That's why it's useful to actually have those diverse friendship groups from work as well, because people tell you things and they are from different parts of the organisation as well. And they will sometimes just drop me a line and say, Arinola, did you know A, B and C was going on? And this person wasn't included in something. And they feel able to come and tell me that because... I hope that I have gained their trust and respect, that I will do something about it once I know. And that's what I've always said to them. I don't know what I don't know. And don't just tell me because you think that's what I want to hear. Tell me what's actually going on on the ground so I can do something about it. And that's been how things have evolved for me over time and has meant that I feel that people do feel a better sense of belonging and inclusivity within the organisation because of the approach that we have taken as a leadership team in terms of how I've led that. And I love that sort of almost like little Jiminy Crickets, keeping your consciousness alive. Thank you enormously, Aranola, for this interview. It's been really, really 
helpful and your openness to learning, openness to life absolutely oozes throughout the whole of the interview. It's been really, really refreshing and your authenticity is just fantastic. I wish you the best of luck with this journey. And as I said, I must come back and find out how those open spaces and what the difference is. And I think for anybody listening, I'm sure they would like for their organisation to know that. So I hope you don't mind we follow up on that. But thank you very much for your time today. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sally. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. This programme is delivered by Association of Colleges, commissioned by the Education and Training Foundation on behalf of the Department for Education.